You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Peggy Orenstein is the author of Waiting for Daisy and Schoolgirls. Her new book is Cinderella Ate My Daughter. Thank you for joining me, Peggy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Peggy, this book is about girly girl culture, and it's interesting to me that as the book begins, you explain that you were afraid to have a girl, baby girl. Yeah, well... Um, I'm a little. I'm being a little facetious about that, but uh, but I had um, been writing about girls and talking about girls for nearly two decades, and so I felt that the pressure was really on. That if I had a little girl, you know, to to raise her right, and what if I couldn't do it? So it just seemed easier for all concerned if I would have a boy. But what's been really interesting is that um, since the book came out, I really thought that was kind of a you know weird quirk of mine. Um, but I've had a number of women come up to me at readings and say wow, you know, I, I thought that too. I was just so worried about all the issues with body image and sexuality and mother-daughter relationships. You know, I just, I, I wasn't sure I really wanted to have a girl. And, um, of course, now we all agree it was the best possible thing ever to, <laughs> to happen to us. But it's, it's a little sad that it feels that daunting for women um, to think about having daughters. You know, one of the things I absolutely love about this book is your prose voice. It's really, really a fun book to read. And I... It's. I feel like you're, I'm just talking to you, or you, when we're when I'm reading the book. So I'd like you to talk about developing that prose voice, and, and you know, it, does it spill off the tip of your pen this way? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I know it sounds like it does, right? No. You know, it was, it's a really. It's it's the voice I love, and and I I think you know if you were somebody who's read my work for a long time, you'd see it sort of that it's been developing, and and it's a really important voice to me because I think. First of all, I believe in fighting fun with fun, so, you know, there's no reason not to make this entertaining. But, you know, there's a combination of, A, you're fighting something that's really fun. So if you don't, you know, counter it in a kind of somewhat amused way or, or entertaining way, you sound very um, humorless. Uh, and and secondly, it's really hard, to, I think, to get people to hear a serious message right now. And so to sort of um, give the spoonful of sugar makes it go down more easily. But just, you know, the, the cultivation of that voice was actually the hardest thing of all in, in writing this book. I really, I so wanted that conversational voice. I so wanted to communicate that I'm a fellow traveler just, you know, trying to work, work this out like you are. And I so wanted to um, be able to imbue it with some humor and, and, um, and wit um, but I would find myself getting so wrapped up in, in the ideas and feeling sometimes so um, overwhelmed by emotion that it was hard for me to stay in that kind of exploratory mode where I wanted to be. So, yeah, it was, it was really, really hard. One of the things that I think uh, I, I love about this book is just this uh, perspective that you give us in into this this girly girl culture for those of us who aren't immersed in it and the power that it exerts over the lives of the girls. And, and I, I, what you talk about, uh, when you talk about uh, how your daughter had taken in this, the Snow White story, uh, even though she'd never heard it. Yeah, 
I found her when, when uh, at the reception for my niece's bat mitzvah lying on the floor when she was three years old, surrounded by teenagers who were trying to figure out who was going to be the prince to kiss her and wake her up. Um, you know, I think there's a difference, though, between the girly girl culture and the the tales that, that I like to um, disentangle because I, I really do, and I don't know about Snow White so much, but I really do like the classic tales very much, and I talk a lot about my love for um, the Grimm's Cinderella and for Rapunzel. Um, but it's sort of what, it, I, I don't feel that the, that the, that's ostensibly what the girly girl culture starts being about for little girls, but it's not really what it is about. It's about selling um, the idea that girls should, from a very young age, be defining themselves through appearance and a kind of play sexiness. You, you devote quite a bit of space to a color that's on the cover of your book. And I have to admit, when I first got your book, I had to cover it up because it, it kind of scared me. <laughs> the pink and sparkles? Yes. Who doesn't yeah. like a little pink and sparkles? It's really? terrifying. You know what, though? You know what's been really interesting about that? I, I hadn't really expected this, but it's been um, a great kind of byproduct. That pink and sparkly cover attracts girls. So... They see their parents reading it, whether they're, you know, 3 or 8 or 12 or 13, and they say, what is that that you're reading? You know, what, what is that about? Why does it say Cinderella? What's the pink and the sparkles about? And I keep, I've been told by a number of readers that it's actually sparked some interesting conversation, both with their sort of very little preschool daughters and also with more like the sort of um, middle school, um, high school age kids. You know, I've got to guess that a book like this, elicits some really strong reader reactions on both sides uh, of it to it. And you must have this a lot at your live events, which I'm guessing are a lot of fun. My live events have been a lot of fun, and they've been really interesting, and the questions have been, and discussion has been so um, thoughtful. I, I will say that most of the time, you know, the reaction has been very positive and heartfelt. I have gotten less pushback, I think, than I would have expected. Or, you know, the, the book was actually came from a piece I wrote for the New York Times Magazine a few years ago just that was just solely on um, the princess the princesses and, and the you know the book takes off from that and goes elsewhere but um, that piece elicited a real mix of reaction very strong reaction it you know zipped to the top of the most emailed list but very mixed mm-hmm. um, the book has not and it's been also interesting I've been interviewed um, on a number of conservative radio shows Really? where I expected to be embattled, and the host was actually um, on my side, as were the callers, and it was, it was kind of a, an interesting and humbling experience for me. Now, one of the things you do in this book, I think, is, is uh, you certainly deserve hazard pay for your uh, on, on-site reporting, <laughs> going to uh, some of these uh, pageants. And, and I've got to just read this one line here because it's, Pretty scary. Uh, how many eight-year-olds have to get bikini waxes before we can all agree the terrorists have won? One. <laughs> so talk talk about these pageants and, and you know, as a mother of a daughter, how did you feel going to these things? Well, you know, I I, I never took my daughter to any, any of my reporting. Whenever I had to do something, when I had to go to a Miley Cyrus concert or the American Girl emporium or anything like that, I would take somebody else's daughter so that my daughter wouldn't know about these things because she doesn't know about them. Um, but the pageants, I did go to toddler beauty pageants or, or little girl beauty pageants. And, you know, 
if I had gone down to those pageants and just attacked them and talked about how creepy and scary they are, I, I think that wouldn't have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really tried to go down there and with kind of an open mind, not to say you know that I would approve, but um, to understand what was going on that would inspire parents to put their daughters in these pageants and and to think about um, our own fascination with them and why the shows have become so popular on TV and such and what that means not only about the pageant parents but about the rest of us and I just felt like I could I could learn a lot more myself and and that my reader would learn a lot more that way one of the things I think uh that I find really interesting is when you talk about uh, the Twilight series, and I never thought about them as as fairy tales, but that's indeed exactly what they are. Yeah, they sort of are fairy tales, and and you know, I really the Twilight series is so hard to reckon with and grapple with, and you know, it's it, it glamorizes dating abuse, and it's you know this rescue fantasy, and there's so much to hate about it, and there's so much that just makes. Um, well, obviously not all adult women, but a, a, a certain you know a number of us cringe. Um, but I started thinking about the character of Bella, uh, who is um, the the girl who uh, falls in love with the ba- vampire. And the thing about Bella is that she is completely bland. She's not pretty. She's not talented. She's incredibly clumsy. She has absolutely nothing going for her. She has no personality. And thinking about that, I thought maybe in some peculiar way that comes as a relief to a generation of girls that feels that it has to that they have to be at once you know the research keeps showing that girls feel this overwhelming pressure to be perfect that they have to be a students and the you know the star of the basketball team and the editor of the yearbook and they also have to be as they would put it you know pretty thin and popular and so they have to be you know the the like the Hannah Montana figure the 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 um, st- high school girl by day um, superstar by night, and it's a huge amount of pressure on them. And so maybe in some peculiar way, Bella, who is so, you know, nothing, so bland, and yet gets the hot guy anyway, is fulfilling a weird kind of fantasy uh, that you actually don't have to be perfect, 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 and you can still be recognized for the wonderful person that you are within. So that was my sort of, you know, attempt to put a positive spin on Twilight so it just didn't make me totally depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's the triumph of the average. It is. It's the triumph. But she's not even average. You know, she's like, she's less. But, but you know, girls really do feel this, um, the, this pressure that they feel keeps rising, and it keeps rising younger when you look into surveys and research. And it's as if none of the old expectations have changed, and in fact they've gotten more intense even as we have layered on all the new expectations. And it's untenable, and it's, and it's um, unattainable. And so, you know, maybe as much as the rescue fantasy of, you know, the handsome prince, it's the rescue fantasy from the pressure to be all things to all people and yet nothing to yourself. I've been speaking with Peggy Orenstein. She's the author of Cinderella Ate My Daughter. Thank you for joining me, Peggy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.